Our reading this morning is taken from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. John's Gospel, chapter 13, and reading from verse 1. John 13, and reading from verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I am doing but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not every one of you was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example, that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction and help that we find in your word. Help us this morning as we look into your word to hear you speak to us. Help us to be open to what you might have to say to us. Speak into our lives, speak into our church, speak into our community, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been with us over the last few Sunday mornings, we've been thinking about what it means to follow Jesus. We've been talking about it as uh, the ultimate adventure. And uh, that's what we're trying to do in church. Uh, not just with the uh, children and young people, but as adults as well, we are attempting, trying, seeking to follow Jesus in what he did, in what he said, 
And uh, we've been looking at several passages of scripture. We started by looking at the calling of the first disciples. And uh, we recognize that Jesus uh, called people to leave things behind and uh, to follow him. And we talked about the fact that sometimes you do have to leave things behind in order to be able to follow Jesus. And then we looked about pressing on towards the goal. And of course the goal was to to reach uh, our destiny in Christ Jesus. And it was about carrying on following Jesus, to continue to follow Jesus in everything that we do. And then we looked at, uh, we're looking at last week, we're looking at the, the kind of cost in following Jesus. And Jesus calls his disciples uh, to take up their cross and to follow him. And uh, we were talking about the fact that following Jesus uh, perhaps isn't what we think it is. And we said sometimes that following Jesus is actually worse than we think it is. Uh, but actually, following Jesus, when we really get into it, uh, maybe isn't as bad as we think it is. And there's a sense in which this morning we're continuing uh, that theme that following Jesus maybe isn't what we think it is. As we look at the story of uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Following Jesus Example, following Jesus' example. Jesus said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I have set you an example. An example that you are called to follow. And so what we're doing this this morning is we're thinking about uh, following Jesus. And, and of course, following Jesus may seem uh, a bit of a high goal, uh, almost an impossible goal. How can we uh, be like Jesus? How can we follow Jesus? Well, we follow Jesus. We, we're aiming high, but in aiming high, uh, we need to stoop lower. So it's aiming higher by stooping lower. That's what we're thinking about this morning. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Anybody ever said that to you? Who do you think you are? I came across a story one day. Uh, an airline flight was cancelled due to bad weather. Uh, one solitary agent was trying to rebook all the travellers whose schedules had been all messed up. One passenger became very impatient and pushed his way to the front, slammed his ticket down on the counter and said, I have to be on this flight. It has to be first class. The agent politely, politely replied, I'm sorry, sir, I'll help you as soon as I can, but I have to take care of these other people first. The man became angry and shouted, do you have any idea who I am? Without hesitation, the agent picked up the loudspeaker microphone and said to the hundreds of people in the terminal, may I have your attention, please? We have a passenger here at the gate who does not know who he is. If anyone can help him find his identity, please come to the gate. The man backed off and the crowd of people burst into a pod. Do you not know who I am? Well, when we look at this passage, we found out that following Jesus' example centers you in God's will. Following Jesus' example centers you in God's will because Jesus did not have an identity crisis. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew where he'd come from. He knew where he was going. Following Jesus' example centers you in God's will. Let's set the, uh, the, uh, 
the context for this uh, washing of Jesus' feet. And there's, there's, there's several things that Jesus knew. He says it was just before the Passover feast and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And uh, if we went a little bit later, Jesus also knew uh, that Satan attempted Judas to betray him. Jesus knew exactly what was happening. And he knew that this was God's will. And Jesus centered himself in the will of God. Later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, in that agonizing prayer, when Jesus is contemplating about the uh, the things that he's going to have to go through, he says, not my will, but your will. Jesus centers himself in the will of God. And uh, following Jesus' example will center us in the will of God. Uh, George Beasley Murray, uh, writing about this passage, says, John makes use of the massing of theological propositions in order to bring out the great truth that this divine self consciousness of Jesus, confronted by the final assault on the devil, directed through his instrument Judas, manifested itself not in a sovereign display of omnipotence, but in an amazing act of self-humiliation. Jesus was on his way to the cross. And we might have expected a massive confrontation with the forces of evil that were piling up against him. But no, what we see is an act of great humiliation. Following Jesus' example centers you in God's will and will also surprise you because, as we said last week, following Jesus is not what we think it is. And even we might even say that Jesus isn't who we think he is. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Jesus demonstrates the full extent of his love in serving other people. Do you notice that uh, as John gets to the act of foot washing, um, it's almost as if um, the narrative goes down into slow motion. They're there at the meal, the Passover meal. And and the meal's already begun. Do you notice that? Uh, The meal's already begun. And it says, so he got up from the meal. Took off his outer clothing. And wrapped the towel round his waist. After that... He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Are you shocked? Not really. Are you surprised? We know the story, Richard. You can't shock us. You can't surprise us. We, we know how it goes. Believe you me, if you'd have been sat at that table, you would have been aghast. You see, 
when people arrived at a house in Jesus' time, uh, remember that they were wearing sandals, uh, socks had yet to be invented. Um, and so as they walked around uh, the dusty uh, roads and, and, and tracks, their feet would have become uh, plastered in dust. We talked about last week, or a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about being covered in the dust of your rabbi's feet. The fact was that you got dirty. And uh, normally when you arrived at a house, uh, a servant, uh, you know, somebody lower than you, uh, will be there with a basin of water to wash your feet. Uh, but for whatever reason, uh, in this particular occasion, nobody had done that menial task. And they'd got to the meal uh, with dirty feet. And, uh, and Jesus realises this. And so he gets up. And he grabs a towel and a basin. And he starts to wash his disciples' feet. Philip Yancey says, Jesus gave us a model for the work of the church at the Last Supper. While his disciples kept proposing more organisation, hey, let's elect officers, establish hierarchy, set standards of professionalism, Jesus quietly picked up a towel and basin of water and began to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He did the job that nobody else wanted to do. Uh, a little bit earlier, Jesus' disciples had been arguing about who was the greatest. And certainly the greatest among them wasn't going to grab the towel and the basin. But you know, what we don't see in this passage is the attitude in which Jesus did it. Because it, it wasn't the case of, oh, so, so nobody else has done this job, so I suppose I'll have to do it. Uh, you know, get me a bowl, get me a basin, I'll do it. If none of you, none of you, if, if none of you are going to do it, I'll do it. That wasn't Jesus' attitude. And if we're honest, sometimes that's our attitude, isn't it? Uh, you know, we volunteer to do something, but not out of a, a heart that's wanting and willing to serve. But, oh well, I suppose if nobody else is going to do it, I'll do it. Nobody else is going to move these chairs, I'll do it. Nobody else is going to do the washing up, well, I'll do it. Nobody else is going to do this, well, I'll do it. That wasn't Jesus' attitude. Jesus gives his disciple an example of the type of leadership, the type of person that Jesus was when he takes up the bowl and the towel. This is the late David Thomas. I don't suppose you've ever seen him or heard of him, but he's the founder of Wendy's Hamburger Chain, which is, uh, is pretty big in the USA. And in his, in his autobiography, when asked what made him so successful, he replied, my MBA. And if you're wondering what his MBA was, his MBA was actually his mop and bucket attitude. In other words, although he was the CEO, uh, the boss of the organisation, he didn't find it below him to get the mop and bucket out and to tidy up in his hamburger chains. This is Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of the Christian faith, and he was known for his TBA. And if you wonder what his TBA is, it was his towel and basin attitude. Uh, he didn't think it was below him to wash his disciples' feet. He didn't say, hey, do you know who I am? 
Well, actually he did. Because he knew exactly who he was. He knew that he'd come from the Father and he knew he was going back to the Father. He was so comfortable in his own skin, he knew exactly what he, who he was. And so he knew that that meant he was able to serve. Very often, you know, sometimes we were talking last week, weren't we, about people pulling people to one side to have a word. Do you remember? When, uh, when, when uh, Peter pulls Jesus to one side to tell him uh, that he shouldn't be going to the cross. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll let you into a little secret. Sometimes people pull me to one side and say, you know, what we really need in church, Richard, is strong leadership. That's what we really need in church leadership. We need strong leadership. You need to tell the people to whatever it is they want me to do. Strong leadership. And, and sometimes we see in the world strong leadership and a strong leader stands at the front and shouts at people and tells them what to do. And of course, somebody else does it. Somebody else does the running around. I was at a minister's gathering this week and uh, one of the ministers was telling me uh, quite a bizarre story uh, about a church he'd visited some, some years ago. Uh, I won't name the church, but it was a big church. And he talked about the fact that uh, the, 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 the main leader in the church had somebody actually massaging his back before he got up to speak. Somebody massaging, how nice would that be? Somebody massaging him back to make sure he was relaxed before he spoke. Any volunteers? He said, and then after the service, uh, uh, again, somebody else went and got his car. It was a very nice, sporty, uh, expensive car. And they drove it round to the front of the church and they, and they kept it warm. So all he had to do was go out and, and, and they opened the door and he got in the car and drove off. And, uh, and that was the leader of the church. And I thought, that's, well, that's where we're going wrong, isn't it? You know what I mean? <laughs> I need someone to warm up with Peugeot 106 in the car park and, and bring it round for me. Any, any, any volunteers? And uh, sometimes we do, don't we? We, we, we think we, we need to get our models of leadership uh, from the world out there where, where people are, where the important people are served. And Jesus gives them this example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He gets out the towel and the basin and he washes his disciples' feet. Following Jesus' example centers you in God's will. If you want to know what God's will for your life is, it's to follow Jesus. That's God's will for your life, to follow Jesus. To look at Jesus and to see what Jesus did and to try and copy that example. Following Jesus' example centers you in God's will. But following Jesus' example centers you also in God's way. Following Jesus' example centers you in God's way. He came to Simon Peter. We like Simon Peter, don't we? And he said to him, and Simon Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And at this point, you've got to remember that Jesus has washed the other disciples' feet. There's a line of them, 12 of them. It would have taken a while to get to Peter. So he knew what Jesus' intention was. But Peter says, you know, are you going to wash my feet? In other words, uh, he doesn't think this is a good idea. And so Jesus replies, you do not realise now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. You do not realise now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. There may be people here this morning who need to hear that. Uh, do, you ever, do you ever think, I don't really know what God's doing? I don't understand. That's not a bad place to be. That's where the disciples very often found themselves. Uh, Peter didn't know or understand what Jesus was doing. 
You might be in a place this morning where you don't really understand what God is doing. But you will later. But you will later. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. I mentioned last week, didn't I, this book that I've been reading about the sin of certainty. Again, we see another example of Peter being absolutely certain that he's right and Jesus is wrong. It's quite funny, really, isn't it? Quite funny, isn't it? Absolutely convinced that he knows better than Jesus. Imagine that. Well, you can't, because you would never think that you knew better than Jesus, would you? You wouldn't think that. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. It's great Peter, isn't it? It's, it's all or nothing with Peter, isn't it? No, you're not going to wash my feet. Well, if you're going to wash my feet, you're going to wash my head and my hands and everything. It's like all or nothing. And uh, of course, we meet lots of people like that, don't we? But it's all or nothing. Uh, the church is full of Peters, isn't it? You know, we've got Peter Bill. Peter Williams, Peter Fielding. No, I'm joking. But you know what I mean. The, the, the church is full of Peters, isn't it? it it's people who, people who, who bless them are, are either, we're not going to do that, we're not going to do that, we're not going to do that. Or, you know, let's do everything. Let's preach everybody. Let's, you know what I mean? Huge enthusiasm. People, and, and people who, of course, who are absolutely convinced that what they think and believe is absolutely right, even if it's opposed to what Jesus might be saying. Or doing. So interesting, isn't it, that Peter's not really learning from his mistakes very quickly. And whilst we're trying to follow Jesus' example, next, let's not forget that we're more like Peter. Most of us are more like Peter. It might not be our, our first name, but we are very much like Peter in that most of the time we don't really understand what God is doing. Uh, in our enthusiasm, or lack of enthusiasm, we have a tendency to go the wrong way rather than the right way. And following Jesus' example centres us in God's way. And God's way is very often opposed to our natural way. Very often it will be the opposite of what we are inclined to do. The church is full of Peters. Following Jesus' example centres you in God's way. Less of me and more of you. Less of me and more of you. Have you ever met those people? And uh, whatever it is, whatever you're talking about, whatever the situation, they always bring it round to themselves. They might have come to visit you in, in dire straits. You, you, might, you might be ill, you might be going through a difficult time and they come to visit you. But it's not long before they turn the conversation around to themselves and it's all about them. And uh, those people are quite hard work. And very often not very helpful because it's all about them. But if we're honest, um, there's, some, there's something of that in, in us that we, we always want it to be about ourselves because we are the centre of our own universe. And when we centre ourselves, when we follow Jesus' example, it's less of me and more of you. C.S. Lewis wrote this, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself. Uh, Jesus thinks you're absolutely wonderful. He created you. He's got a, he, he can use you, your gifts and, and abilities. He, he's chosen to use us uh, to, 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 to preach the gospel, to, to make disciples. He's, he's entrusted us to do that. He thinks very highly of us. 
Uh, but humility, so it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Following Jesus' example centers you in God's way. And then finally, following Jesus' example centers you in God's word. It centers you in God's word. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. It was a rhetorical question. He wasn't expecting an answer. Uh, They obviously hadn't a clue uh, what Jesus was doing or what was going on. Do you understand what I'm doing? uh, There's a sense of humor there in Jesus' conversation. Do you understand what I'm doing? And the answer would be, no, we haven't a clue. Uh, You've completely thrown us once again, Jesus. We weren't expecting that. Unlike the congregation in 2017, who knew exactly what Jesus was going to do. So you're not shocked and, and you're not wowed by it. They were completely aghast because it was the lowest of the low. The servant that you probably didn't even acknowledge when you came into the room that washed your feet. And Jesus doing that was a shocking thing to do for a rabbi, a teacher of the law. People just didn't do that kind of thing. It'd be like the minister having to, you know, change the chairs or wash up. It just obviously doesn't happen. I'm joking, I'm joking. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. Following Jesus' example, he centres you in God's word. You call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so. Interesting, isn't it? You call me teacher and Lord. Do you think sometimes we are, you know, in our cosy, warm relationship with God? Uh, do, we, do we sometimes get a little bit too familiar? What, what do you call, you know, mate, Jesus, our, our mate, our best friend? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. Uh, they, 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 they've got a, an inkling of who Jesus is, that he's... That you know, Peter himself came out with that amazing confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Jesus knew who he was. Now that you, your Lord and teacher, has washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. This isn't good news, folks, is it? <laughs> I was very tempted to have a bowl of water out here and uh, and a towel just to frighten you. Not to, not, 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 I was not going to mention it at all, just leave it there, just, just to worry a few people. He's not going to make us wash people's feet, is he? Please, whatever it is. Bad enough when he asks us to turn around to somebody and talk to somebody, or to pray for somebody, but please, Richard, don't ask us to wash somebody else's feet. Even in today's society, uh, we wouldn't want to do that really, would we, if we're honest? Let's be honest. Uh, the person next to you might have beautiful feet. Uh, we sometimes sing a song, don't we, about uh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Uh, but most most people's feet are a little bit smelly, a little bit dirty, a little bit sweaty, and we don't like the idea any more than the people in Jesus' day like the, the idea of washing somebody's feet. And Jesus says, you should also wash one another's feet. And one of the challenges today is to think, well, what does that mean today? What does that actually mean today? Because let's face it, we don't. We, we could do it as a symbolic thing, and it's not a bad thing to do. I'm not knocking it, and some traditions make a bigger thing than that than others. Um, but we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean today to wash other people's feet? What does it mean to wash other people's feet? Following Jesus' example centers you in God's word. It's what Jesus commands us to do. It's what Jesus commands us to do. Uh, Rick Warren, our friend, says, Jesus specialized in menial tasks that everyone else tried to avoid. So here's the clue. It's those things and jobs that nobody else wants to do. Washing feet, helping children, fixing breakfast, 
serving lepers, nothing was beneath him because he came to serve. What does Jesus want us to do? He wants us to serve one another. He wants us to serve our community. Sometimes, if we're honest, let's, let's face it, you know, we see our community probably as people that we need to win for the gospel. And every now and again we think, like, how can we, we sit down, don't we think, how can we win our community for the gospel? Um, maybe in thinking, how can we win our community for the gospel? How can we tell these people about Jesus? The question we should be asking is, how can we serve our community? How can we as Lund Baptist Church serve our community? Uh, on Friday, we served our community. On Friday, we did the funeral service for Jack Cropper, who very sadly took his own life. And there was a sense in which it was a horrible thing to have to do, but there's a real sense in that here we are actually serving our community. And uh, for those of you who are here, you will know that the church was probably fuller than it ever has been and ever will be, uh, with uh, a demographic of people who we don't normally see in their 20s. And there was a real sense of it. this is this is one way in which we can serve our community, but there's probably other ways in which we can serve our community. And uh, when I do a funeral visit, and this wasn't a particularly uh, easy funeral visit, but what I always do say when I do a funeral visit and we're talking about making the arrangements, I always use that phrase, and I don't mean it flippantly, but I do say, well, it is your funeral. Uh, and by that, I mean you can do what you like. You don't have to do things. And, uh, you know, we didn't have any hymns. We had the Swedish House Mafia. It won't be often that you hear the Swedish House Mafia played in, in, in church. And, and, and some churches might not have been happy with that. Some people might have said, well, actually, we don't want that sort of music in church. It's not there. Uh, but we want to serve our community. And that means sometimes, you know, allowing people to use this space. Um, for things that they want to do without getting all hot under the collar and saying, oh, I don't want to do that. Because Jesus did things that were quite shocking in his day to serve the people around him. He specialised in serving. And maybe there's a challenge there for us. You know, how can we serve our local community? What can you and I do to serve our local community? I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus was setting an example. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed. Anybody here want to be blessed by God? I guess we all do. Uh, but don't get confused with what it means to be blessed in our world than what it means to be blessed by God. Jesus said you'll be blessed if you do these things, when you wash people's feet, you will be blessed. Not when people serve you. Not when you get what you want, whether you deserve it or not. You'll be blessed if you do these things. And these things that he's talking about is the menial task that a servant would take of washing people's feet. Following Jesus' example centers you in God's word. It's what Jesus tells his disciples to do. Jesus is only hours away from the cross. Hours away from the cross. The command he gives them is not the command to be more zealous, to be more dedicated, to be more certain. The command that he gives his disciples 
is to serve one another in love. To serve one another in love. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Nike has this label, doesn't it? That they've kind of uh, used for advertising for a long time. Just do it. Just do it. I wonder whether some advertising executive was reading this passage of scripture when he came across that idea, just do it. Because that's basically what Jesus says to his disciples, just do it. Just do it. Don't mess about. Grab hold of the, the, the mop and the, and the bucket and the towel and just do it. Just do the things that I've showed you to do. Just get on with it and do it. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. And of course, now they know. Before they didn't know, but now they know. And now you and I know that this is what God has called us to do in Christ Jesus if we want to follow him. Uh, on this adventure of discipleship, it means doing the things that Jesus said. And when we do, when we follow Jesus' example, it centers you in God's will as opposed to my will or your will. When we follow Jesus' example, it centers you in God's way rather than my way or your way. And when we do these things, following Jesus' example, it centers you in God's word. This is what God's words tells us to do, to follow Jesus' example. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the example that you gave us. We recognize that the example that you've given us is not an easy and straightforward example to follow. It's difficult. It's hard. You talk about taking up your cross and following you. You talk about washing disciples' feet and following you. You don't call us to an easy life. But you do call us to follow in your ways. And we pray that as individuals, but even more so as a church community, that we will follow you in serving our community. We continue to pray for our community and we continue to pray for the family of Jack Cropper. And we pray that you will continue to minister them and maybe you'll give us as a church opportunities to continue to minister to that family as they try to come to terms with a terrible tragedy. We pray that you'll help them in their grief and, and that you will surround them with your love and your care and your compassion. Father God, we celebrate uh, with Amanda, the birth of her daughter. And uh, we thank you for that safe arrival and we pray for that new child and new member of our family here at the church. And we pray your blessing upon them in their joy. Minister to us and help us to minister to others in situations of joy and situations of sadness. Help us to be able to follow you. We pray for this world that you created that knows so much tragedy, so much heartache and pain. Help us to be your hands and your feet in this world. Help us to minister to those. Help us to find ways to wash people's feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.